Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording, Evan Hartley shares a bittersweet story about her grandmother. So, it's January. I'm 15 years old, so this was about, like, four years ago. (laughs) And my mother wakes me up, and she says, Your nana, which is what we call my great-grandmother, is dying, and we need to go help prepare for the funeral because she's probably going to die by the time we get there. And if I was to describe my grandmother in any way, I would describe this picture that we have in my living room of her. And it was taken for the newspaper when my grandfather was getting back from being deployed in World War II. And they're walking side by side, holding the hands of my grandfather in the middle of them. And my grandfather, my great-grandfather is muscular. He's in this press suit, and he just looks so clean and put together. And my great-grandmother, you know how I kind of look like a hobbit? <laughs> she was the opposite. She's tall and super thin, and she has these pointed features that are so delicate. Her hair is curled ever, just ever so. And she's wearing a trench coat over her dress that has these big old fur cuffs. And she's the epitome of glamour and sophistication. And that's how I've always remembered her, even into her 80s, where she always wore heels, a St. John suit with a diamond brooch and these red, ruby red nails. So we're in the car and we're driving. It's me my sister, my mother, and my grandmother. And we get a phone call, and my mom talks on the phone, she hangs up, and she turns to us and she's like, your nana's holding on, so we actually may get a chance to say goodbye. And my sister goes, that's great. She's like, are we going straight to the hospital, or are we going to drop off our stuff at my aunt and uncle's place before we get there? And my mom goes, well... It's a hospice death, so we're not going to the hospital. And my sister goes, what's a hospice death? And then my mother goes, she's going to die at the house where we're staying, not at a hospital. Now, my sister's that perfect combination of OCD and superstitious. (laughs) Where she tenses up, her eyes get really big, and she can't really say anything negative because it's disrespectful and rude but you can tell that she is not happy and like she doesn't particularly like old people to begin with so death's like (laughs) so death's like the icing on that cake and the energy in the car turns and it's uncomfortable for the rest of the drive there and we get to the house it's like the mountain areas of Virginia like kind of near West Virginia area and I walk to the front door, and we open it. And I hear this sound, and it's like, and I'm like, I thought it was an air conditioner. And I walk to the back room where my grandmother, my nana, is being held. And it's like at the end of this long, jagged hallway. And as I walk towards her, the sound gets loud. It's a noise. And I stand in the doorway, and I see her, and she's gone. And her hair is thinned, and it's thrown up in a loose bun. 
And there's some remains of that former glamour. Her nails are still red, and she has a diamond brooch pinned to her silk nightgown. And I hear that noise again, that And originally, I thought it was a respirator, but turns out it's the sound of her breathing. And it looks so painful and terrible. And situations like that are weird, because you're there to help someone else, but you can't help but for a moment think, oh my God, that's going to be me 50 or so years from now. So, I get over it, though. That's not the reason I'm there. And I'm actually very good in situations of crisis. If you need an obituary rent, I got you. You need dishes or laundry done, I'm there. I'm really good at getting stuff done sufficiently. And when I was not doing that, we were all taking turns sitting with her and just kind of enjoying her company. She was in a lot of pain, so she didn't talk. And we just did things she liked, and she liked to watch the Kardashians. (laughs) So we had a Kardashians marathon, and when the marathon was over, we watched Black Swan. And (laughs) she liked ballerinas. (laughs) So I was sitting there watching the Kardashians with her, and she opens her mouth. And I lean in, because it's painful for her to talk, so what she's got to say, she wants to say it. So I'm like, there. And she opens her mouth, and she's like, can I have some champagne? (laughs) And my grandmother loved to socialize and drink. You know, um, she always had a cocktail when she watched Johnny Carson. And when she was getting ready, she would always drink. And every Christmas, ever since I was like eight years old, we would give her a bottle of wine, and she would, like, get down to my level, and she'd be like, Evan, you should come drink this bottle of wine with me. And I would be like, yes, and my mom would be like, no. <laughs> and it's our family tradition. So, so I'm like, yeah, I'll get you some champagne. And I go to the kitchen, and my aunt and uncle don't have any. So I take a cherry 7-Up, And I pour it into a champagne glass. I put a little tiny straw in. And I hand it to her. And she cups it in her hands and she sips. And then she opens her mouth to say one of the few things I hear her say this whole entire time. And she's like, it's so good. And I agree. And originally she was supposed to die before we got there. And the nurses keep coming by and they're like, any hour. Any hour. She ended up living like a week past the time I got there. And I only brought one change of clothes. And, yeah, some of you see where this is going. Because I couldn't do laundry because, you know, we were preoccupied. So I would get a shower, and I don't know why I would, because I just put on the same filthy sweatpants and just kind of chilled in my own filth. So... It's like the third night of our week, and I, it's 1 a.m., and I'm walking to the end of that jagged hallway because the bathroom is right beside her bedroom. And I bump into my grandmother, and my grandmother is on the phone talking when she's actually supposed to be checking on my great-grandmother and making sure that she's not dead. And I'm chilling with my toothbrush, and she goes, Evan? I'm like, yes, Grandmommy? She's like, go make sure your grandma ain't dead. And I'm like, I'm 
15, and it makes me kind of uncomfortable. But I'm also a team player. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. And I walk into that room, and it's dark. And I can only see, like, a silhouette of her through the moonlight. But I can't hear that sound. And I lean in, and I'm waiting. And I can't hear her. And I'm like, oh, shit, she's dead. And I, I don't want to be the bearer of this bad news, so I lean in, and I'm like, please breathe. And I wait, and then I hear it, and we both breathe at the same time. I'm like, cool. And I walk out, and I see my grandmother, and I'm like, hey, Nana's fine. And she's like, okay. And my mom hears that, and she's like, why are you checking on your great-grandma? And I was like, well, my grandmommy asked me to. And my mom gets really mad, and she looks at my grandmother, and she's like, okay, here's the rule now. No one under 18 does a death check anymore. <laughs> And I gladly agreed. So we get to the final day of the week. And the nurse comes in and gives her a last round of morphine. And as she's packing up her, well, it's like medical junk. I don't know what it is. But it's like IVs and crap. She's packing it up and she goes, you know, she always, your Nana always asked me to have a glass of champagne with her. And it's a shame that we never got to have that drink. And she packs up and leaves and we all stand around her bed, and we wait. Her breathing is a bit more sporadic. We wait a bit longer. We say a final I love you. And then one minute she's there, and the next she's gone. And we all kind of take a moment, and then we call the funeral home. And I should have mentioned this earlier, but earlier in the week, a blizzard descended upon this town and just like a foot of snow and everything's black ice. And my aunt and uncle live on a super steep hill. Like it's almost vertical how steep it is. And as the funeral director pulls up, we're like, oh, we gotta get the body out of the house. So it's like this tiny little funeral home, family owned, and these two gentlemen exit the van and they pull up a rolling stretcher to the door. But it's not big enough to get, it's, well, it's not that it's not big enough. It's too big to get inside the house. So they go back to their van, and they take out, like, have you ever seen someone, like, hit their head at a pool or something? Like, those orange boards? They get out, like, two of those, and they take them inside. They strap her body to them. But her body was at the end of this narrow, very zigzaggy hallway, so they can't carry it out like just normal horizontal. So they're, they're doing like a weird Tetris where they're like flipping it and turning it and flipping it. And, it's, and they're just kind of twisting it. But they get it out. And the two men who are there, it's the son, who's like a 40-year-old dude, just like normal. And, and then there's his father, who's 70, and, like, the fact that he can lift anything in my eyes is a miracle. And they put this body on the stretcher, and they begin pushing, but it's all black ice on this hill. So... <laughs> and, 
and there's all of these ditches and farmland beyond this hill. And as they're sliding down, their legs start to like kind of slide. And I'm like, if they drop her, it's gonna be like a death toboggan, like. <laughs> and they're. They're slipping and sliding all the way down, and it looks like a Marx Brothers cartoon. But they make it to the bottom. No issues, no slip. And they put her body in the little van thingy, and they drive off. And an hour later, we get a phone call. They're like, she's ready to be cremated. Y'all need to come down here. So my whole family piles into this van, and we drive to the funeral home. They take us to the back room, and we all stand kind of semicircle around her casket. And, you know, we all say a memory, you know, a reason why we loved her. And my grandmother turns to my aunt and says, is there anyone who would care to see her before we cremate her? And my aunt goes, oh, no, Nana would have just died if anyone saw her like this. And I'm mature, so I'm like, <laughs> and I get this look, like everyone lined up next to me goes, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And the moment passes, and we exit the back room, and we have to go pick out an urn. And it's weird. Only because, like, these urns are, like, super expensive, but there's also, like, layaway and buy one, get one free. <laughs> and we choose this one, and it's, like, four mini urns. So that way each of her grandchildren has a piece of her. And she's actually in my living room to this day. She's on a shelf right next to my first dog, Jenna, who... <laughs> who's in a container that we purchased from Target. <laughs> and honestly, she would have just died if anyone knew that she... that she... that she was on the same shelf as a dog. Thank you guys very much. That was Evan Hartley sharing how she handled her grandmother's final days. Thanks, Evan, for sharing your story. If you'd like to join the podcast or check out the live show, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org, where you'll find our online submission and contact forms, a list of upcoming shows, and more Storyteller podcasts. I'm Deb Markham. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Live.